Hello, hello, hello. Uh, welcome to The Rev Up. It is a beautiful, sunny Friday when we are recording. Uh, today on The Rev Up, I have my good friend, Adam Hewitt. Adam is the founder and CEO of Cyber Revolution. Super interesting business. Cyber Revolution actually provide education for people to learn how to become um, cybersecurity specialists, help them land their first job in the world of cybersecurity. Um, this is obviously an area uh, that has massive skill shortages. It has loads of opportunities, uh, and Cyber Revolution are doing an amazing job of not just helping to teach their um, their students. You know, this to me is one of the really critical aspects of further education. They're not just helping them to learn how to work in the area of cybersecurity, but helping them to connect with businesses where they can then obviously secure a career. Um, Adam is an excellent salesperson, an incredibly level-headed business person, uh, somebody who I respect greatly. And I'm really looking forward to being able to share this conversation with you guys today. We get into a whole heap of different topics uh, around business growth. We talk about marketing, we talk about sales, we talk about team building. Uh, we cover a whole bunch of different topics uh, as Adam has spent the last few years uh, really going through the you know, the entrepreneurial ringer of building a business and having to be across all of the different pieces and then figure out how to extract yourself back out of those pieces and hand them over to other people. Uh, as always, the Rev Up is brought to you by Trust the Process. Trust the Process is the place that you go if you are looking to hire offshore talent uh, in order to be able to uh, resource your business and grow your business, particularly in the areas of sales, marketing, and service. We obviously also help with uh, general admin roles, finance roles, all of those sorts of things. Um, and so you can reach out to us at ttprocess.co, uh, or as always, you can always just talk to me on LinkedIn if you've got any questions or need any help. Uh, but over to Adam and I for this conversation. I'm super excited for you guys to listen to. Welcome to the show, Adam Hewitt. Ben, thanks for having me, mate. Oh, mate, I've been excited for this. We've been talking about it for a little while. Obviously, uh, you were pretty close to, well, you weren't going to have a baby. Your partner was going to have a baby. Uh, and so we delayed it for a little while. So I've been pumped waiting for this to happen. It has been. It's been, a, I think, a few months in the making. Yeah. Um, and yeah, now little Angus is all happy and healthy, 11 weeks old, and I've finally... I'm getting enough sleep now to be able to concentrate and have a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Well, as you know, I know that feeling very well, although it's uh, maybe a little foreign to me now. I have to wake my kid up to get him ready for school these days. So uh, I've, I've switched over to the other side. He's like a preteen boy. So uh, if I don't wake him up, he just sleeps. Um, so we obviously met uh, when I joined the Entourage maybe four years ago. Um, we worked together for a little while and then COVID hit. Hey, mm. <laughs> we basically just jumped straight into that whole journey uh, together. Um, what do you remember about about those times going through that together in like an education business which just all of a sudden hit and we were like at home yeah. freaking out? It was such a strange time looking back wasn't it like it seems like like a long long time ago now and it was what early 2020 lifetime it feels like like it seemed and it's just changed so many facets of how people work um and it did for us right like i mean we we were one of the organizations or the entourage one of the organizations that i think stayed working in the office for as long as possible mm -hmm. um, which I, I enjoyed and then the whole working from home thing um, I didn't really enjoy it, to be honest with you, because I enjoy being mm. around people. And in a sales role, you need to be, you know, um, have a good environment and, you know, um, train and talk to people. And so, yeah, it, was, it wasn't that side of it I didn't really enjoy all that much, being away from everyone and people like yourself. Mm. Yep. Yeah, same for me. Uh, I mean, look, I, I've got family at home and all that sort of stuff, so working from home was good, but um, but definitely prefer a bit of uh, camaraderie and jokes and laughter and all that sort of stuff. I, you... was, by my, I was completely by myself in a one-bedroom apartment yeah. because my now wife um, is a nurse and so she was working at the right. hospital 
five, yeah. six days a week, 10, 12 hours a day, crazy shifts, just coming home and sleeping because it was a hectic mm. the health industry. And so I didn't really get a chance to speak with her or interact with her. And it was just, yeah, myself in a small little one bedroom apartment. Right. Yeah. I, it was a, it was a pretty intense time, but I, I remember obviously you eventually made the decision that you were going to leave regret, regretfully for me. Um, and go and kick off and grow what is now Cyber Revolution. That must have been a, you know, a little scary jumping out to take on, you know, an awesome opportunity, but uh, something new at a time of, let's be honest, fairly significant uncertainty. Yeah. What do you remember about like making that call and taking that leap? I remember our conversation vividly, to be honest with you. But I, and again, you may not have known this, but I made the decision that I was going to start my own company. Um, Cyber Revolution before COVID hit, and then COVID did hit. I'm like, oh, is this the best decision? Mm. My own. What's going to happen within the you know within the economy or the market? So I held tight for I think maybe about four or five months. Um, and again, we we're all working from home um, in our own little silos. And so that was not really the most enjoyable period for work for me because I was half in, half out of the entourage. Uh, knowing mm. that I was going to be starting my own business at some time, at some point in time, um, but not knowing exactly when that was. And it obviously just kept dragging and dragging. And then after about four or five months, I decided, you know what, I'm just, if I don't do it now, whilst I you know, don't have any real commitments in regards to a family, um, I'm probably never going to do it. So I decided to pull you into that office and say, hey, we need to, we need to talk. <laughs> I remember it. I remember it for sure. Um, but, you know, it was one of those things where it's like if you've got opportunities in front of you, you've got to take them sometimes. You've got to take that risk. And uh, obviously you're still doing that now, so, so it was a good call. Um, you you obviously spent like you spent a lot of time in the education industry, um, but in a sort of few different capacities. Um why don't you talk us, because uh, the audience might not know you. Some of them will for sure, because some of them are good friends of ours. Yeah. Uh, but why don't you just talk us through a little bit of like what your journey's been from, um, you know, from school teacher through to um, Cyber Revolution? Yeah, so I've been in the education industry for a bit over 10 years now. I started off studying education down in Canberra, um, and then PE, PE teaching in secondary school. So studied for four years um, and then realised that there were no PE teaching jobs out there. Um, mm. So went into the market. Because that's and, the job everyone wants, is that why? Yeah, but also it's the job <laughs> everyone wants. But when you look back at your school, throughout your you know five or six years, whatever you're at that school, you realise you probably had the same PE teachers. Once someone gets yeah. into a, uh, a PE teaching faculty, they don't leave and there's only four or five of them. And yeah. In Canberra, there's 2,000 students, 2,000 kids studying to be a PE teacher, and there's you've got to mm. wait till somebody that gets injured, retires, or um, goes on maternity leave, which are just no positions available. So I uh, became a relief teacher, glorified babysitter for about 18 months, study, uh, teaching history, uh, French, anything basically, um, for about a year and a half, and I just realised you know, this isn't what I want to be doing for the next three or four years, just waiting for a position to open up. So I left um, the teaching scene and then found my first sales role in a RTO, a registered training organization, um, selling building certifications and diplomas to builders. And that was my first introduction to sales, um, still in that RTO education space, um, stayed in that industry and the RTO space till 2016 when there was a, um, some challenges that hit the market uh, and then decided once that happened to actually attempt my first business, which was a digital marketing agency for the few big RTOs that were still left. They'd never mm. done digital marketing before because it was free courses um, and it was you know an easy sell. So why would they need to? But these big organizations still had... Um, budgets and they were still operating. So I thought um, the digital marketing scene was kicking off. I started that with one other gentleman and that lingered for about 12 months and just I didn't have any idea of the skills required to run a business. I still wasn't really, I definitely wasn't a good salesperson, which was my main role to drive business for that. So it, it flunked, to be honest with you. Uh, and then through that 
um, stage of trying to run my own business, I followed, yeah, followed the Entourage, um, which is a business coaching organization that we ended up working together with, um, and then went into a sales role there for, I was there for about two and a half years. And that was really where I cut my teeth into, um, mm. cut my teeth as a salesperson, speak to business people on a, you know, day-to-day basis, uh, and understand the mechanics and dynamics of, um, running a small business. Um, and then when was that 2020, mid 2020 started cyber evolution and here we are. And here we are. Uh, what is the difference? Let me ask you this. You're teaching adults now, right? To become, um, tell me if I get this incorrect, but essentially cybersecurity. Um, don't know what the job title would be, but cybersecurity experts for businesses. Yeah. So we, we help people land their first job in cybersecurity, entry level yep. cybersecurity roles. Um, so we do that through one on one specialized training. And then we have a huge focus on um, placing our students. The, the reason we niche in the one industry is we want to not only provide really good training and support, but we, uh, the reason why I started Cyber Evolution is throughout that 10-year journey in education, um, there was never really, except for the entourage, to be fair, because it was just skills-based learning, a focus on outcomes, genuine outcomes for the students. It was mm. usually just, here's your piece of paper, we've done our job. Off you go. Here's a couple of links to the seek.com, um, you know, seek.com applications. And that was it. And I obviously had the mm. frustration of traditional education um, stuffing me around in the past. Was told that yep. I would land a job as a PE teacher, worked really hard to get my degree. And then I'm like, okay, that is just not going to happen. So I always had this chip in my shoulder about traditional education. And I go, okay, if someone could really genuinely help somebody with gaining the right skills and a really big focus on placement, um, that would be a great successful business. Everyone's happy. So that's what we, we do. We, we train our students and then we partner with both large and small cybersecurity firms across Australia to place that talent. And thankfully, there is a huge talent gap at the moment with everything that's going on in the cyberspace. That is, um, that is an interesting place to be, you know, where there is, there is massive demand for your students right? I always just find this an interesting dynamic, right? But just because there's a massive demand for the outcome that you produce doesn't necessarily guarantee that there's a massive demand for the courses that you produce. And this is the, the I suppose, the piece about selling education generally. Um, how have you found that? You've got this market where there is a, a you know, humongous skill shortage. There is a massive demand for people that can do these roles. Um, how have you found that that journey of being able to fulfill some of that that market need and find people that want to, you know, get the education, put the work in to eventually get an outcome? Yeah, I actually look at it as a positive and, and, it, probably, and it definitely helps our business. If there mm. is an awareness that there is outcomes available and there is a need for those outcomes, it makes the front end and the, 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 the delivery and the actual course um, a lot easier to bring people in. If mm. they hear about it, the attacks in you know, that happened late last year in, with Optus and Medibank, and it's all over the news that there are heaps of job opportunities and there's a need for more people to enter the cybersecurity industry, then it, it makes the front end of the business in regards to um, attracting more students, um, yeah, a lot easier actually. So we, we saw a big uplift in that late last year when, you know, the dark, the dark couple of months in the cybersecurity space in Australia where Optus and Medibank were hit within six weeks. Yep. Massive amount of inquiries. Um, yeah, and, and, and sales conversations and conversions in our students. Um, student intakes went up quite a fair bit. So when you've got that kind of market dynamic happening, how do you generate leads? How do you generate inquiry and, and demand and I suppose on top of that, not just how do you generate it, but how do you make sure you capture it? Yeah, <laughs> make yeah. Most so of you, it. You, you pay a bunch of Russians to hack large organisations in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> no, just joking. <laughs> <laughs> that starts the demand. Yeah. That starts the demand. How do yeah. you take that though? I mean, that obviously it's a joke, but it you know a, a major moment happens, and yep. all of a sudden there's massive PR about the problem. Yep. Um, but that doesn't necessarily lead to people 
Googling, filling in forms, visiting websites, making no. calls, sending emails, doing all of those things that help you actually capture it. Yeah, exactly. And so it's a massive part about it, educating that market around what cybersecurity is because it is a bit of an industry that is um, there's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of common um, yeah, misconceptions about the industry that you need to be an IT expert, a cybersecurity genius. We've all seen that image of someone wearing a hoodie in a dark room typing away yeah. at a thousand words per minute. Whilst that area of the industry exists, that's not what the industry needs. And so educating the market around, hey, you can be a, a tradie that doesn't have any cybersecurity or IT background or skill set um, previously um, and get into this industry at an, at an entry level. So that was probably the biggest thing that we've worked on over the past couple of years is not just slapping up a Facebook ad saying, get, a, get into cybersecurity, go through this mm. funnel, have a sales conversation and away you go. Whilst that worked, where we really saw an uplift in our business is when you know we educated our market. We've got a bunch of resources that we give out for free. I run a weekly podcast, um, and we really focus on educating our potential students first. I run a weekly webinar every Wednesday, information sessions, um, and educate the market as much as possible before they, yeah, before they start to join. Because changing careers can be pretty overwhelming for anyone, especially into an industry like cybersecurity that already had some of those connotations attached to it. Well, for, uh, on behalf of everybody who runs trade businesses on the back of that, who have their own skill shortage, uh, stop stealing those students. Uh, yeah. We need them to stay in trades businesses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't convince them too hard, all right? Uh, I can't promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so some of the stuff we're talking about there is like education-based demand creation right? Uh, we teach people how they should think about it, how to understand it. Once they understand it better and it all kind of lands to them, they become more comfortable and they're more likely to want to have a conversation about going down that track. That to me is, you know, exceptional modern marketing strategy, right? Build audience, teach audience, gain the trust and the acceptance of the audience and then move them into a process to help them take that next step. Yeah. Yep. Um, did you know how to do all of that going in when you started Cyber Revolution? Oh, potentially on paper um, and just through, you know, working at the Entourage. There's yeah. a big, they do that there. And so I, I did see it, but I'm not going to say that we were doing that from day one in early 2020 when we started the business. Um, it was more just your basic marketing um, into a lead form, into a conversation. And just over time, you know, as you do with a lot of things, you just look at the results, iterate, change it. How can we make it better? And it's, it's gotten to the point where we're doing that really well. So I think I knew what I needed to do, but how to actually do it, I yeah, had no mm. idea. Do you think that um, that those, you know, that learning process, is that kind of critical to growing a business the way that you have? Oh, 100%, 100% it is. Like growing, I always preach this to our students who are like, oh, I can't, I don't think I can, um, you know, do cybersecurity. How could I possibly get into cybersecurity? And they put it up on this echelon. I go, look, I break it down. It is a skill. Cyber, no one's born a cybersecurity expert or a profession. Mm. They learn those skills and business is the same. No one's born, um, a, you know, a, a business expert. I learn on my, I look back on my previous attempt at running a business where I had zero skills and it failed. Whereas then when I mm. started Cyber Revolution, I had a good base understanding and a good um, skill set, a reasonable skill set, and it succeeded. And it can continue to succeed as I, you know, as I continue to grow my skill set, which is important. It's like anything else, you need to, you know, professional development and, and personal development in the business space is really, really important in order to grow the business. So I'm a huge, huge, um, you know, fan of of learning, long life, lifelong learning. Yeah, and I, I totally, fundamentally agree with you. Right, like just about everything's a skill. You have to learn things. You have to constantly evolve. Your business will never outgrow you. You kind of got to stay ahead and be be taking it to the next level, adding skills in order to be able to take it to the next level. However, there are. 10,000 messages out there 
from 10,000 different businesses, particularly those in the business coaching and uh, education market Mm. about what you should be doing, right? What should people be doing? What should they focus on? Like what are the areas that really matter to upskill him? Because they can go and learn how to do better accounting and bookkeeping. They can learn how to implement CRM systems. They can learn SEO for their website. Uh, There's a lot of these like there's so many different specific skill areas in business, in modern business. What are the things that people actually should focus on? It depends on what stage the business is at, Mm. right? So if um, you know, you're just starting out, like I was two and a half, three years ago, um, you need to focus on the things that are going to grow your business and drive your business forward, which is you know, marketing and sales and delivering the product or the service that you've got. So they're the three areas that you really need to focus on if you're in that startup stage. Um, and those are genuine skills. And you know, it, it depends on the business owner as well. Some people aren't going to be naturally, there is a natural component. I think I do believe in um, someone who potentially might be more naturally gifted at skill uh, at sales as opposed to an introvert that likes the attention to detail and is more operationally focused. But you're going to have to get over that and you're going to have to push through and actually learn some of those mm. basic skills. Otherwise, your business just is not going to grow. And you can be a little bit too obsessed, especially as a business owner, on making sure that your product and your service is the best in the market and you're, you're, that's your child and your baby and you're obsessed with it. But if you can't go out and market it and sell it, then you're not going to help many people. So that, that's what yeah. you need to focus on if you're at the early stages of a business. Then it does, then it does obviously, obviously change. We're going, we went through this transition period probably about, I'd say, six months, or, six months ago where we needed to invest in enabling our business for further growth, um, which is operations, um, looking at our finances, growing the team and the people, and that comes at a different stage. So, And that is a different skill set. Um, sometimes you can obviously, as the business owner, upskill yourself in that area, but operationally, that's not my area of strength. I really enjoy the the um, drive growth pillars. So rather than, I guess, going all in and upskilling yourself and doing a, um, you know, uh, doing a business degree or focusing on anything in regards to your operations and your finance, you can bring in people that can do that because you've driven growth and you've got the investment to do that. So that's what we did recently. We brought somebody in who can focus on the operations, the people, and um, a little bit more so the product and the deli- and the development of that, and that works really well as well. Yeah, that whole um, – yeah, there's that, that tipping point where you've got to go from being the one kind of doing everything to – identifying what your strengths are and where you can add the most amount of value and putting yourself to your highest and best use and hiring people in to put themselves to their highest and best use. The, the marketing and sales point you made about like early on, I mean, you know, obviously you've got to have a product to sell and you've got to be relatively clear about what that product is and the productization of your service or whatever it is that you're doing so that it's really easy for your customers to understand, but assuming you have a product that people can buy and they do want to buy, um, I find that the the sales and marketing part of early growth really interesting because I think there's a big misconception out there in the greater business world that you can actually just delegate and outsource and abdicate from some of these things even really early on. Um, I really enjoyed the book um, Zero to One. don't know if you've ever read it, the Peter Thiel book, um, where he talks about like, you know, the entrepreneur's job is ultimately and the hardest part of building a business is ultimately going from nothing to something. And I think that rolls over into things like sales and marketing. You get so many people who are like super early in their business and nothing is working yet and they hire a marketing agency an external source to come in and teach them how to do marketing. But a marketing agency tends to find it really difficult to take no data and nothing that's working and create something out of nothing for a business that they don't truly understand in the depths and don't really truly understand the customers uh, in order to get how to position it and what drives their purchase and all of those sorts of things. Yep. 
And so I, I do think there's this moment early on where, like, you have to make something first. You have to find something that's working a little bit <laughs> before you go and abdicate and say somebody else should do it. Like, did you find that too? Like, sales process, yep. marketing channels, this sort of stuff. You kind of got to make something first before somebody can come in and improve it for you. <laughs> 100%. And even going back on what you said before, saying assuming you've got a good product or a good service, the step before that, rather than assuming that you do and, and then investing in sales or investing in marketing is is testing the market and going, do I actually have a mm. good product or a service? It might be a good product or a service or do I? is there a need in the market for it? So if mm. you go, I've got this great idea and you obsess over the product and you're like, yep, this is great. Let's go. I'm going to invest a bunch of money in marketing and sales. And it flops because there's just not a, a need for it. So that's probably the first thing. Test, actually test the market, which you know you can easily do. Okay, we're going to get um, some inbound leads coming in. This could potentially work. And then it is crucial that you, the business owner, I feel it is, you speak to the, the, they're your customers. Whether they're good or bad conversations and you make sales or not, you just learn from that um, and you can create a better process around it. And so you can then go to your marketing agency and say, here, here are our customer avatars. This is intimately, I know what they do like and what they don't like, um, and they can build a strategy around a strategy around that. Thankfully, I had exposure to how to do that through my previous experience, so I knew that the importance of having the sales process, mm. having targeted customer avatars, and um, all of that was important. So we did all that, and then um, yeah, it made it made it a lot easier. But that is crucial that you do that; otherwise, you're not going to get to know your your customers. Yeah, uh, the sales process part I find super interesting as well because we, uh, you know, Trust the Process is an outsourcing agency. We do quite a lot of sales outsourcing um, offshore to the Philippines, right? Um, and I get a lot of people come to me being like, oh, can you hire me a person to do sales for me? Um, and I say, what are they going to be doing? Well, they're going to call up some customers and go try and get some deals done. Okay, do you have a process in place? Uh, not really, no. Like, I, I don't really like sales. I don't really want to do sales. So I just want somebody else who knows how to do sales to come and do sales for me. And uh, my feedback to them almost always is like, um, you, you need to know that it's working first. If you try and outsource or, um, or delegate a problem, an unknown black hole, you're never going to solve it. You're probably just going to get a bigger problem. You're going to spend a ton of money to get no result. You can outsource a process. If you've, if you've at least got something that you have run customers through and converted them through, and we know this series of steps can be effective, well, then you can outsource that, which is, to be honest, is why we, uh, we have a couple of companies that we partner with to help people build sales processes. Because without a sales process that you know can convert people, you can generate all of the leads in the world. <laughs> They're not going to do anything for you. Yeah. I, How did you go about that process of like building out a sales process? Yeah, I, I built out the sales process um, and then I just did it to where I, I was capped basically. I, I, I couldn't make any more sales. Um, the business was kind of hit a bit of a plateau, um, which I think just based off my experience, most business owners should do really. They should get it to a stage mm. where they know the process is, works. They're really good at it, so they can help out potentially with training somebody um, and bringing somebody in, outsourcing the sales, whether that's internally to a salesperson or externally, which is what you guys do. Um, you have to do it. And a lot of people don't do it because they, they might come to you and say, look, uh, it's going to fall into the too hard basket or I don't enjoy sales, so let's just get somebody else to do it which to me is obscene because sales is such an important part of every single business. Without a sale, you don't have a business. So why you would not want to understand how to sell and grow your business is just is completely beyond me. Yeah, and I, th I think you can, you can bring experts in to help you to do that, right? Like if it's really super foreign to you and you have no idea about what a sales process should look like, Having somebody who knows how to build sales processes, which is a skill, you know, talking about everything being a skill, is a skill in and of itself. Yeah. Outside of being able to sell, building sales processes is its own skill. 
Um, I didn't. And you can, I, you I, can bring somebody in. I didn't know that it was right until I had exposure to the great man Peter Lakovich. Shout out to Pete and <laughs> and yourself. You know the amount of days that we spent um, in a whiteboard. You know, just within the team, creating a new process, figuring out why this potential objection keeps coming up, and and solving that is such a skill. Like it is, it's such an important skill. And even um, having somebody to be able to extract your sales process that you do really well in your head, getting that on paper yourself might be really, really difficult. And you could write, it could be five, six pages long, and it's just not going to work for somebody to come in and do that because, you know, you're the expert in the industry potentially, and it's hard to be able to replicate that. So having somebody to come in and simplify it for someone else to do is is important and is, yeah, is a skill set for sure. Yeah, that simplification piece uh, is probably in my opinion, the is like really the pivot point as, as to whether it works or not, because, um, and you would have, you will have seen this so many times when we we're at the entourage too, you do get these, uh, founder salespeople who have a sales process that they know works that they can deliver on, but it is a complicated sales process yeah. where there's like a huge amount of knowledge required in order to be able to execute it. Yep. And so they try and hand it over to somebody else. And they just never can. So be. I think there is this, yeah, there's this bringing together of the two pieces. You've got to know what works for yourself and you've got to practice it and prove it and we can make sales. And depending on the business, we'll kind of determine how many of those you need to make. Big consulting business with massive projects, maybe you only do three or four deals before you hand sales over to somebody else. Yep. Uh, you know, something with a bit more volume, it might be in the thousands. But that piece where it's like, okay, I know what my process is and I've documented what I do. How do I turn this into something that I can then train other people to do? Yep. Then becomes that that tricky part. Um, I, I re I'm really keen to get your, your opinion and take an experience on like that transition to then now I'm ca at capacity I know what works, but I've got to transition this into a team that I build so that I don't have to do it anymore so that I can focus on other things. Yeah, and that is the true, like, that is the, um, I guess, that is the area of the business that is going to open the floodgates and allow you to really, really grow. If someone else can come in and bring in revenue and then it's a proven process that one person can come in and do it, then you can start scaling it from there. So that we did that, it took probably about a year or so, I, I know, within the business I was doing most of the sales. And I still remember it to this day when I brought somebody in, trained them and they made their first sale. It was like one of the best feelings ever. <laughs> like, oh my God, it can be done. Because I was, um, you know, wrote a process, but again, it was probably looking back a little bit too focused on positioning myself as the expert in the industry. And I didn't, I wasn't sure that it was going to be all of that replicable, but um yeah, it was such. It was just such a good feeling when someone came in, was successful at it, and then we kind of decided to grow pretty aggressively. We brought on uh, a bunch of salespeople all at once, three or four, I think it might have been, um, and you've then got to be patient for them to be able to learn that process and make it their own because it's not a script, right? It's not them just reading exact word for word, sounding like robots. It's um, There is that part of it. They need to understand the basics, the crux of it, the framework, but giving them, you know, time to be able to um, be comfortable within that process, understand the objections that are going to come up, um, is is really important. So now yeah, we've we've been able to do it. And we've we've got eight sales guys now um, that can, you know, you listen in on the majority of their calls or the process, and it is now really scalable, replicable model that all of them follow. It's good. It's great. Man, being at eight sales team members in under three years is I gotta say, it's very impressive. <laughs> it's very impressive. You've done a great job. Uh, what you sell, I think, is a really interesting thing in terms of the sales process you would use for it. I think marketing through sales is probably super interesting, in part because, I mean, we all know there's a difference between selling services and selling products. There's not a tangible thing necessarily that you can touch and hold and feel and experience. Um, but in your case, I think what's super interesting is that, um, you know, where education's involved, you're kind of selling them 
a future version of themselves <laughs> mm. that doesn't necessarily exist yet where they have to believe in their own ability to achieve it um, and they have to believe that you can help them to get there. Yep. Are there are there kind of unique challenges around that? How do you go about, like, what's the focus areas in terms of a sales process to get people to go along that journey with you? Probably the two biggest areas that we need that we focus on a lot is do they believe that there is an outcome attached to what they're going to do? So is uh, when I if I do put in all this work and learn all these all of these skills, is there going to be uh, an outcome for me? Because I don't want to have to put in all the work and the time and effort and not get the job at the end of it. So that's where I was saying at the start of the chat that um, you know um, the awareness in the market at the moment that there is a need for cybersecurity experts helps us a lot. Right, it, it, mm. it's not just something that we're making up. Um, there is a need for people with the skill set that we provide. So that's that's great. The other side, the other thing to, that we have to look at overcoming is, um, yeah, helping the students understand that it, it is a skill set and if they put the time in, um, they can learn it. Because a lot of people might come into it and go, I've got no IT background at all. Like, like I have, you know, I haven't, I am interested in it um, and I've always wanted to study it, but I've, I've never formally studied before. Can I learn these skills? That's probably yeah. this, that they're the two things that we need to look at overcoming and the student needs to overcome before um, yeah, joining our program. So, so is there a sort of baseline qualification level that somebody has to have in terms of their tech capability in order to be able to enter your programs? No, no. So we help um, people from all walks of life, all industry that haven't had any formal IT certifications before, that's where we start. So our first certification isn't a cybersecurity certification. It's a basic entry-level mm. um, IT certification that teaches them from the ground up the basics of IT. That's not going to really get you a cybersecurity job right, but what it is going to do is lay the foundations for you to learn networking, which is another core foundation, and then you can start to learn um, the basics of cybersecurity, which is the protective blanket on top of the network. Okay, so um, yeah, it, it's it's a ground up, it's a ground up program. Right, and um, in all my experience anyway of education businesses, is that um, you you have to do a really good job in your sales process of also setting realistic expectations because. Sometimes people come in uh, ultimately kind of looking for the silver bullet, um, you know, the the magical wand that makes everything okay and better. Yep. Um, how much do you have to kind of balance the whole like promising an outcome and building the the vision of this beautiful future where they have this amazing opportunity and this new job and this new career? How much do you have to balance that with realistic expectations about workload and and outcomes and things like that? My dad's always had this saying, um, today's delights, tomorrow's expectation. And so mm. if you bring somebody on and you promise the world and, you know, you're like for the first week of somebody being a student, we're going to give them X amount of, you know, support and sessions, then that is the standard that potentially your business can't perform to for the six to eight months you're going to be with that student. And so one of our core values is delivering on our promise, that promise being, um, you know, making sure that we're not going to guarantee anyone a job. No one can do that. Um, we only want to be able to provide uh, opportunities for our students and we're going to provide the best possible training we can, the best possible, su possible support and the most amount of opportunities for our students. So if we can provide on the basics really, really well, I think that is where what you need to focus on um, because if you, yeah, if you want to make all of these crazy promises and say, yep, we can guarantee you a job. You're going to be earning $150,000 a year. Um, it's only really downhill from there, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's such an interesting dynamic um, that I've seen in a lot of places. You know, you can have this, you could hire incredibly impressive, seasoned, amazing salespeople, and it creates a delivery problem for you because the difference between the customer experience in the sales pipeline versus when they land as a customer and start being delivered to, there yep. can be this massive drop-off in how they feel about it. Yep. Um, but in a lot of businesses, without those really high-level, highly skilled salespeople, it's really hard to get people to make 
decisions and take action. Yeah. And so like that whole balance of like how yeah. you deliver on the that experience is hard. Well, I think if they are genuinely really good salespeople, they don't need to they don't need to pro- overpromise um, yeah. on the delivery. If they're if they are yeah. really good and there's a good process and they're great at what they do, they don't have to say, "Hey, yeah, it's easy. Don't worry about it. You'll get a job no matter what." It pays X amount. They don't have to fall back on all of those that overpromising that the delivery team can't deliver on. Um, whereas, it, yeah, that might may occur if it's a, someone that doesn't really know what they're doing in sales. They have to say that to get the sale across the line. Mm, yep. Um, so yeah, we always focus on that. A really good salesperson just focus on us being able to deliver the basics really well because then that expectation mm. set students on board. Yeah, and um, I'm not even necessarily talking about the promises made. I'm just talking about um, this is going to be a bit of a ca- the castle reference, the 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 vibe of it. <laughs> you know, right. there's there's that experience and that level of connection that sometimes you have with really good salespeople, where you feel super comfortable and everything runs really smoothly. It's very clear. It's very certain. And then they land sometimes in a product delivery environment where things aren't quite so certain yep. and quite so clear yep. and quite so productive and, uh, you know, moving with momentum and all those sorts of things. And I think you do have to be, um, you know, that is that next stage of, of business growth where you shift from being about sales and marketing to all of the enable growth stuff where now it's about how do we make sure that that customer journey from the moment that they land yep. is as simple and easy and effective and gets them as early as um, some early wins and yep. they're moving and they're making momentum and feel like they're making that move forward. You guys must be at probably well past that stage now or, or past that stage now in terms of like having to focus so much more on the, the enable growth aspects of a business. Mm. Uh, how have you found that process? Like, what are the what have been the core learnings and the core things to focus on as far as being able to deliver on the promise? Yeah. So fortunately, it's online training, so it's highly scalable. So the delivery is is scalable, but we wanted to go above and beyond and make a a, a really good experience and and um, develop our uh, on the delivery that we already had. So develop the product and the service by running live workshops adding in career sessions, more dedicated one-on-one student support, all of that stuff I think you're constantly doing um, because we went from, you know, roughly around a year or so ago, onboarding 20 to 25 students to now 80 to 100 students per month. So it's it was it was a huge um, uplift of students. And you're like, okay, we in order to be able to deliver on our promise and then also then exceed on that because the marketing and sales engines are going really, really well, um what what can we uh what can we now develop to make our product and service even better so i've kind of, i've been in that space probably for the past 6 months and that's what i really enjoy doing i run all of the workshops um and figuring out ways to go um yeah just to provide a better service and a better product um and the operation side of things is just i'm not going to really talk about that cuz that is not my strength at all in regards to <laughs> You know the the all of the systems. Um, we the amount of thankfully we have somebody in that space that is really good. But the amount of systems that we now have with and within and plugins within the company, there's no way I could name them all. It's crazy. It's not my area of strength. So I just don't <laughs> be good at that. They deal with all of the issues. Yeah, and the good thing is that that usually by the time it it's time to really focus on a lot of that stuff usually have a bit more revenue and scale and the ability to hire people that uh, can do that. Yep. I think I see a lot of businesses, the person kind of is already in the business often and they kind of emerge. They just pick up all, a lot of the operational system stuff and they start fixing and tinkering and you go, oh, okay, well, now that's my operations person. Yeah. Uh, for some, it's like that person didn't exist because we were so sales and marketing focused. i got to go now find an operations manager, yep. uh, somebody that understands technology and all those pieces yeah, uh, yeah. but it's, it's such a it's such a funny journey business growth and building businesses it is and it's and it's it is a funny journey but it's it happens to everyone like it's just through the conversations i had with business owners at the entourage 
everyone's problems and challenges are always the same. Like the what they actually do, the industry they're in and the product and service they offer is different. But it's, there's so many um, similar challenges that business owners go through, which is why I think podcasts like this um, and networking groups and being around other business owners and talking to them is so like so valuable. People who have been there and done it before um, and been through those challenges and problems, like that is it's just, it. Yeah, you have to have it as a business owner, I think. Otherwise, you'd go mad. Yeah, 100%. 100% like, um, you know, the funny thing is, like I, I run a podcast about sales and marketing. You talked about our good friend uh, Peter Lakovich earlier. We are members of Convert Club, mm. right, his, um, his sales training uh, community. Um, we are members of CUB, Club of United Business, right? Oh. Um, That's we... I, listen, I listen to their podcast. It's a good podcast. Yeah, yeah, really good. Hmm. You know, there's so much um, opportunity and information out there. Uh, there's some really great sources for it. It is super important. Like, no matter where you're at in your journey, there's so there's just so much to learn, which to me is like actually the most exciting thing about all of this hmm. is uh, the business world is constantly changing and evolving. There's new skills required, uh, tactics change, like what works now in marketing versus the, let's call it the, um, you know, trick people into your sales pipeline lead magnet of the past yep. um, has changed dramatically in the last three to four years, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but still so much, <laughs> to be fair, so much out there is still teaching things that don't really work anymore. <laughs> so... <laughs> Picking picking your channel and picking who you get your information from is also a pretty important part of that. Yeah, exactly. There are plenty of experts out there, right? But and there, there's also like just levels to everything, right? Like you think that you can have your sales process and it's really well, it's converting well, um, and then all of a sudden the sales decide to, to dip for whatever reason, and you're not sure why. Or the marketing engine, your lead flow's great and it dips, um, or even you know you think you're going well. Um, and that's where the business is at and you're not sure how to take it to the next level. Like we're, what I've learned throughout the, the last couple of years and we've got a great um, sales and marketing team, especially a great sales manager, Anthony, there is just so many iterations and tweaks and constant improvement within your, like fine, like anything, right? To get to that, that upper echelon, that elite level of anything, they focus on the one percenters. Um, and if mm. you can surround yourself with more people that know how to to um, yeah think at that high level and go okay you're doing X amount of revenue how can you take it to the the next level by adding this within your sales process or implementing this strategy it's, it's something that I've I, I to be fair I wasn't even aware that you could you could continuously fine tune something um, to to that ongoing just about forever it it, it honestly is yeah it is just continuously. <laughs> Um, so that, the, the piece around like constantly working forward, um, we talked before about like building teams, growing, developing processes, all that sort of stuff. Um, I think that ties really well into what is probably the main question I get from people the most frequently, which is how do you take what you do and what you know works uh, and get it into the hands of new team members and get them to a place where they are effective and driving value as quickly as possible. As somebody who's been through the process over the last few years of building a sales team in particular, sales and marketing function, how do you take those learnings, those things that we know are working, hand it over, delegate it off and continue to kind of work on it, tweak on it, expand it and bring people on board? Oh, that's a good question. And it, I think it deserves <laughs> like a long, there's, there's so many um, answers to that, right? Um, the first one would be, you know, constant support and training, providing uh, an environment where people can go be comfortable and go, hey, I, I, I don't know this and come back to you and say, oh, I, I feel like, um, especially in a sales environment where there could be some ego involved. Um, it's about providing that environment where people are comfortable to say, hey, I need some support, I need some help, 
I'm open to saying I don't know this or I'm not good in this area, I think is probably really important. Um, mm. Providing that constant training, um, looking over the numbers, sales is a numbers game. It, you're either performing well or you're not, um, which which helped to be able to say, hey, you know, you're, you're performing well in these areas of the sales process, but when it comes to this specific conversation, we're seeing a, a bit of a dip. And so it's easy to identify weaknesses and then it's just constantly focusing on that and supporting your team members, training them. Um, and then I think the next level of it is having somebody within the organization, because that's not my area. Like I'm not a sales, I don't think I'm a naturally good sales manager or sales trainer, but if then if you can, if you've got the resources to bring somebody on who is dedicated um, to that space and, and can provide that, um, that culture and that environment and constantly train, train and um, monitor the team, that's, that's really important as well. Yeah, that's, um, you said something there that I, I don't know that I've necessarily thought a lot about, but I think is, is actually an interesting thought and probably more important than it gets credit for. You talked about like, uh, particularly in sales teams, sometimes there's a bit of ego at play. Um, I think something I notice is that you have to be okay with people not always responding perfectly. When you're teaching somebody how to do something, if you truly want to be a mentor for someone, you have to be okay that they won't always take the feedback perfectly. All we're looking for is, do they make progress? Uh, do they come back maybe later and accept the feedback? Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's, I see so many times where, where somebody tries to help somebody progress at something, gives them feedback, the person reacts poorly, they say they're uncoachable and they get into an argument with them and, and off they go. Yeah. Um, but one of the, for a separate reason, one of the analogies I give people all the time is the relationship between, uh, you know, I'm a massive nerd, right? Uh, between Luke and Yoda in Star Wars, right? You've lost me. Okay, good. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Luke is flat out rude to Yoda, <laughs> right? He's flat out rude to him some of the time and he pushes back on everything he says. But because of the consistency of always being there and always going along the same path and helping him learn the process, uh, he eventually comes around and he eventually makes progress. It's not always positive. Sometimes it's downright uncomfortable and difficult. Uh, but because we keep doing it and we repeat it and we always there and we show up, yeah. like uh, the analogy I usually give is what's Yoda's number one skill? What's the number one value that he offers to Luke? People are usually like he knows everything there is to know about the force, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So no, it's it's availability. He's always there. He can he's always there to answer questions. He's always there to guide. He doesn't always give the answer. He sometimes makes him work for the answer. Mm. Figure it out on his own. Mm. Sometimes make him feel like he learnt it and earned it on his own. Yeah, that's, but he's always there for the ride. Yep, that's a, that's a big one. And also, um, I'm not going to reference Star Wars because it's stuck with that year. But um, I'm assuming Yoda had done it before. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yes, so yes, yes, yes. Goes back to our um, uh, the chat. Uh, what we were talking about at the start of the conversation in regards to the salesperson, the business owner being able to do the sales. If you actually haven't done it before and have a proven track record to go, hey, you know. It is possible. I know. I know some of the objections that come up. I know how you can. I know how they, we can overcome them. I know our um, potential students and customers really well because I've done it before. How can you then go and you know help train and um, support your team member if you haven't done it before? Right? You're not. You're not going to have any. Hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, oh man, I believe in that so much. Um, every sales manager I ever hire. I always make them go and do the sales role. If they've never done it before, I make them go and do the sales role for a period of time to learn it and get themselves up to speed on it. Um, every place I've ever led sales, I force myself to do a whole heap 
Uh, you would remember this at remember. the Entourage. Yeah, I do. A yeah, whole so heap of, of customer meetings and, and, and sales early on so that I actually know what the heck happens and, <laughs> and how it works. Yeah. But do you know what the, fu- the funny thing is? I think I actually think some like quite a lot of people do realize that that it's easier to teach someone how to do something if you know how to do it yourself. But they often forget about it when they take a step up, mm. right? Because whatever your direct subordinate's job is, that's the job you need to be able to add value to, right? So for example, you go from being the person doing all the sales and all the marketing to the person managing the sales and the marketing. Okay, I just recently was doing it all so I can give some guidance and some assistance and some feedback, et cetera, because I was just doing it. And you go then jump up to being the CEO and now you're managing people who are managing those people. Mm -hmm. And you might now be able to give some advice about how that works. But you have to focus on the fact that the areas that you need to focus on helping with is how to manage and teach people how to do those jobs, not how to man- not actually managing the people doing the jobs. Yeah. And sometimes you go up that level and all of a sudden you're managing people who are managing people that do jobs you've never done before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you've noticed this. Sometimes, quite often, you manage the people that do the job that you've never done before better than you manage the people that do the job that you have done before because you're not judging them on how they teach the people how to do the job. You're only judging them on how they lead and manage the people Yep. because you don't know how to do the job. And so you're not jumping in where you're not wanted and you're not not giving them enough space to do the job because you have no fucking idea how to do it. Yes, that, and that is that is a really good point, actually. I've never even thought about it that before that way. Um, is sometimes, you know, if having, if you've got a really good marketing and sales team, even if it is your area, you're a lot more tempted to jump into it and put in your two cents, right? But um, what I feel like I'm, I'm really good at is um, delegating it to somebody and just letting the talent and letting the team who I feel are supported and have the mm. right process just do it. Um, whereas I think a lot of business owners potentially can get so caught up in every every aspect of their business and need to know every single detail from the ground up, from the team to the managers, to the leaders, to the general manager, to yourself. You need to be across everything, which like, who has time to do that? Do you know what I mean? mm, yep. So that's, it's an interesting point you make. That that transition from doer to leader or doer to manager, manager to leader, leader to entrepreneur, that sort of going up the scale of the different mm. levels. Um, I think it's a re- it's it's a really difficult skill in and of itself to especially that piece you talked about there of like letting go of control and letting people get to it and do the thing themselves. Yeah. Um because when we let go of things and we don't have full visibility over them anymore. People start to feel scared. And this is actually something we talk about all the time because um, one of the things we do at Trust the Process is um, CRM, right? Um, One of our co-founders, Pete Liston, uh, often says, um, if you want to be able to grow a business, you've got to have control. But what is control? Control is consistency plus visibility, right? It's not doing. Mm -hmm. It's just that we know that there is a process for people to follow in place. We know how things are going to unfold and how they should unfold. And then we have visibility over whether they are doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so often like the ability to step up and to step out and to give control and to delegate the effectiveness, the effectiveness of that is often down to how good of a job we've done of creating processes and how good of a job we've done in implementing systems that give us data and insight yeah. and hiring right, and visibility. Yeah. Yeah. Well, probably most importantly, hiring good people. But let's be honest, we've all seen really good people get hired and fail. Mm. Mm-hmm. We've all seen it because somebody couldn't let go of something. Someone never truly got given the space to go and succeed right? They had the shadow over their back the whole time. Yeah. Um, and especially that's 
challenging when that shadow is uh, a CEO, a founder, etc. Yeah. You've got to be so aware of the shadow that you cast uh, as you kind of step out and as you empower other people. Yeah. So I've got two, two big questions for you. Well, I suppose the audience and you can decide whether they're big questions or yep. not. Uh, number one, you obviously, you run an education business, right? Um, I've, I'm yet to meet anybody that has any level of success in, in business that isn't to some degree kind of self-motivated for education. You talked about being a lifelong learner before. Um, what is your approach to learning for yourself in order to be able to stay ahead and in order to be able to keep growing um, and leading a business? Yeah, it's. I don't know where it came from or where it started. Potentially when I was really young, I was just heavily into my sports and progressing and focus on training and identifying weaknesses and um, focusing on those and just outworking people and, and upskilling and myself in that in that area within sports. Never really was it academically at school. Um, and so I think that's where the um, the whole principle came in regards to yeah, focusing on your weaknesses, always improving your skill set and getting better. I think that's where it potentially started from. And now bringing that into the business world, I'm kind of the same. I just naturally want to learn and um, learn from people is probably the best way in people's experience. It's probably the best way that I learn. Um, not really into everyone learns differently. You know, I've been in education for a long mm, time. Of course. Some people love reading books. Um, some people, um, on the other hand, love listening to books, right? And, and or speaking to people or vi visual video, etc. So, obviously, doing it as well is probably the best, um, you know, learning experience, learning from your failures and reflecting on that. But I, I think, I think that's where it all started from is it within my sporting days and just focusing on. Um, being the best trainer I, I possibly could be, I think was would result in the outcomes um, that I would get. And so, how I do that now, constantly, yeah, it's it's. I'm not a I'm not a reader. I'm not an academic person. I don't read um, all that many books. I've read a handful within my life, but every single day I listen to I listen to one specific podcast every day. It's only 15, 20 minutes, and it's just like a short, sharp dose of current affairs and news, et cetera. And then I'd probably say every second day it's a business podcast um, listening from yep. like the Cub, Cub podcast that um, they've got as well. There's a couple others. Uh, and just listening in and learning from other people's experience is something that I just do now as a habit. So I, I'll listen to a podcast every single day. Is there a particular favorite one that you're getting the most out of at the moment? Um Ex excluding this one, of course. I was about we'll to just, say, uh... Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. And the Cyber Evolution podcast, by the way. And the Cyber Evolution. It's a great podcast. Of course. Everyone should listen to and uh, subscribe to. Um, when I got on to probably a little bit later than a lot of people, it's called The Secret. Uh, oh, wow. What's it called? The Diary of a CEO. Oh, yep. Stephen Bartlett. Yeah, great podcast. And I yep. love, I love those podcasts. Like, founder, typically, you know, really successful person that has gone through every every area um, that business goes through, starting it themselves uh, as a solo business owner and just telling their story. I think he's really good at asking the right questions, that Stephen, that, the guy that Oh, really it. good. Um, so that would probably be the one I'm listening to at the moment. Absolutely love that podcast too. There's been some amazing How I Built some This. Some amazing episodes. As well as another one. How I Built This is great too. That podcast, yeah. Yeah. Oh, there you go. We listen to some of the same ones, and not then the, surprisingly. The daily podcast um, that I listen to is called Fear and Greed. Um, right. Good one. It's kind of a bit of a snapshot at the economics of the day, a, biz, a few business yep. um, yeah, a business titles and a bit, few business uh, stories thrown in there as well. It's a good one. Uh, I'd say my most frequent one, if you're into the world of demand creation and demand capture, is a podcast called Revenue Vitals, okay. uh, which is by a guy named Chris Walker from Refine Labs. Funnily enough, uh, Chris and I are recording a podcast in about two weeks' time. Um, what's what's that? Revenue what? Revenue Vitals. Revenue Vitals. Uh, it is essentially about um, modern uh, demand creation, demand capture, mm -hmm. and particularly about uh, some of the gaps that exist in measurement and the fact that, you know, 
a lot of the best lead, well, demand creation actually doesn't happen in places that can be tracked digitally mm -hmm. uh, through, you know, particularly through things like attribution software. Really, really good podcast. Yeah. Um, an absolute favorite. Um, awesome. And uh, the last question is um, where can people find you if they want to reach out and what might they reach out about? So um, probably say that the podcast is a, one of the best platforms for people to get to understand what we do, who, you know, Cyber Revolution is for, who it isn't for. So it's simply the, called the Cyber Revolution podcast can be found on all platforms. Um, and what they would reach out about, they can find us on cyberrevolution.com.au um, and leave their details there. Someone from the team would be in touch. Really, who we are, who we help um, is for people that are mainly career changes, right? They are in and around that stage where they hit a bit of a glass ceiling within their career, um, looking for more progression, more job security, better earning potential. Um, and they've always potentially been interested in IT. They like problem solving. We get like a lot of mechanics, like engineers, um, you know, and people that like helping people. XADF, we help a lot of. They might have been recently, um, they can't work in their field mm. at the moment, but they're like, I still feel the need to want to serve and protect um, a country. It's a very fulfilling, you know, career to be able to make sure that you're making Australia a safer place. Um, and so... Yeah, that if you're feeling like that and, and you're looking for something different in a career change, it is an amazing industry. It is yeah, it's extremely um extremely fast paced and forever changing. I've been in the industry now for three and a half years and everyone always jokes within cyber that it's almost like dog years, cybersecurity. Mm, it yep. is yeah, it's it's really cool. And it's going through this transitional phase at the moment where it's now I think the Optus and Medibank attacks were um positives for the cybersecurity landscape in Australia um, because it shone a light on how serious it is. It is, it is really, really scary. It is everyone, the majority of people listening to this podcast and in Australia are vulnerable and they just don't know about it. Fortunately at the moment, cyber, um, you know, hackers are targeting businesses because that's where the lowest hanging fruit is. But um, that will start to attack, you know, individuals as well. And if you're not, um, upskilled, or even if you just you're not prepared for that within the basics, then you know you are are really really vulnerable. So yeah, it's it's an amazing industry. I could go on a lot for it. I've, I've obviously dived deep into it over the past <laughs> few years, um, but yeah, that that's who it's for. People who are genuinely interested in it. Okay, and what's the URL if somebody wants to go visit your website? Yeah, cyberrevolution.com.au. Awesome. As always, uh, it is great fun to talk to you. Uh, we'll have to have you back at some point and uh, thanks for joining the show. Thanks, Benny. Good catching up, man. Thanks, Huey. Bye-bye.